welcome back to the Global Gamers Podcast. Yeah, good to be back with y'all. Yes, and we're going to be doing another review episode today. Yeah. And this is a game that we are excited about because it's going to be a little bit different. It's going to be a lighter game. And yeah. also for the both of us, it brings back memories of uh, a trip that we both did separately but ended up going to this country at the same time and accidentally kind of meeting up which was very cool it was very fun and we are talking about portugal yeah that's the country not the game <laughs> yes that's the country <laughs> yeah, yeah good clarification <laughs> the game itself is azul yes yes so i don't know what do you want to talk about first our trip to portugal or azul <laughs> uh let's i mean we can talk a little bit about the trip like i mean it's a really we, fun place to go. Yeah. And we were both just like we each were traveling with a friend and it just turned out that we were there at the same time. So we met up yeah. in uh Lisbon and in Sintra. Yes. And Sintra is actually kind of relevant to uh the game of Azul, as it turns out. It is indeed. So yeah. um yeah, like like I'd said, the game is Azul. It is a tile laying game based on the Azulejos uh the the famous blue and white ceramic tiles that adorn so many of the historical sites in Portugal, yeah. including many of the palaces of Sintra. And, you know, I mean, if you go to Portugal, like you see them, especially in, in Porto, yes. they're just like random buildings on street corners, the train station churches, like a lot of the churches just have like exterior walls that are just blue and white tiles. It's really, really special. It's really nice. Oh yeah. And they're all very detailed. Like they'll depict like mythology, historical scenes, religious oh, yeah. scenes, all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. There's a lot going on. And I mean, you know, Sintra, the, you know, historical capital just outside of Lisbon, some really cool stuff there, including the site of the the first tiles that were imported. So King Manuel I in the 16th century went to the Alhambra Palace in Spain and was like, ooh, this, t- some this tile game is pretty <laughs> strong. Let me bring some of that over to Portugal. And uh, so he brought some of the tiles over to decorate the palace in Sintra. And the rest is history. The rest is history. Now we can see him in... A lot of places. Yeah, now your your grandparents probably have them on their dinner set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, on that note, let's let's get into talking about Azul itself. Yeah, sounds great. Um so I am looking at the good old BGG page. So cool. Azul was published in two thousand seventeen. It is designed for two to four players with a playing time of thirty to forty five minutes. Yep. And a complexity rating of 1.76 out of 5. It is designed by Michael Kiesling, with art by Philippe Guerin and Chris Quilliams. And it is published by Next Move Games or Plan B Games. In Azul, as we mentioned, basically what you're doing is you are going to be filling out a grid with colorful tiles. Most of them are azul, which means blue. Yeah. Uh, a couple of them are not. I kind of wish they all were, but it just it looks really nice. And it basically, you just kind of go until one person has finished one horizontal row of tiles. The last thing I wanted to say before we jump into gameplay is just uh, this was another game that won the you know game of the year award 
uh, Spiel des Jahres award back in 2018, I believe. So, uh, it's, you know, definitely, you know, yeah, that makes sense given how popular this game is. I mean, yes, this game is so popular. In fact, that, um, it has spawned kind of its own series of Azul spinoff games. They're all standalone, but they're all, you know, some kind of variation on the tile laying. So there's Azul uh, Queen's Garden, Azul Summer Pavilion, Azul Stained Glass of Sintra. There's like a Chocolate there's, Factory one, isn't there? The Chocolate Factory one is is the same base game Azul, but it's kind of like a special edition. So oh, I see. Yeah. That's not, that's only like come out recently, so you could kind of get that as like a special version of Azul, and they actually the tiles really do look tasty, like little chocolates. <laughs> it's kind of it's like the wings, um, the wingspan eggs, how they look like uh, like chocolate eggs. Yeah, it's kind of the same the same look. Yeah. Um, and then there's another game that I think is by the same publisher called Reef. That is another. I used uh, to own it. Yeah. I don't think it's as good as Azul, but it is another like abstract. Yeah. You know, placing um hefty plastic chips, colorful chips on a grid kind of thing. Building out a core. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm happy to talk through kind of the goal of the game and how a turn works. Yeah. So basically, what you're doing is you've got a five by five tile grid in front of you um you've got five different colored patterns of tile so with 25 squares on it you have five of each and one in each row one in each row one in each column think sudoku a little bit yeah yeah that's a good way to put it and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to score points by filling tiles that are adjacent to each other as much as possible so you basically have this five by five grid that you're trying to fill and the way that you fill it is off to the side you're you've got five rows in a row ranging in numbers from one to five so to fill a tile in the first row you just have to put one tile of a color in that row and then in the second row two of the same color in that row and then three and so four and five yeah and so what you're trying to do is you're trying to fill those rolls those rows ranging in number from one to five because at the end of each round you will move those tiles over onto your five by five grid and then you basically score your points every round Right. And you get, if you move one over and it's not touching any others, you get one base point. But then for every one it's touching in the row and column it's in, you basically get additional points for. Yeah. It's like the more completed spaces you have, the more your points kind of grow exponentially. Right. And the way you get those tiles to put um, into that lineup to get them into your grid is yes. there's going to be a pool of tiles available to everyone so there's going to be these nice kind of coaster looking round yes i I believe they're supposed to be tile factories ah okay um and each one is going to have four tiles on it that are randomly drawn out of a bag right and on each turn you get to pick up all of a single color from any of those tile factories and then place them um in the row on your player board where you think it would suit you best. Right. And all the ones that are left behind. So if, if there were four available, one of them was like 
the black tile, two were the yellowish tile, and one was the solid blue tile. And you took the two yellowish ones, the other two would go into the middle. Right. And that just kind of becomes like a bigger communal pool right. that you can draw from later on. Yes. And basically once all the tiles run out, that's when you would count you would score your points for that round and you yeah. just play round after round until one player has filled one horizontal row with all five tiles and then you'll just see who has i mean there are a couple little like end game scoring bonuses but you'll just count up see who has the most points on their tracker and that's it it yeah really is quick i mean quick and simple we just played through two games of azul in under an hour this afternoon yeah and yeah 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 it it was a good time but like it was pretty easy yeah um one other thing I'll say in terms of gameplay is that one thing you do want to be careful of is that if you, you know, the first person who draws tiles each round from that communal pool in the in the middle has to take a little tile with a number one on it. And basically what that means is it signifies that you will be selecting first amongst the all the tiles in the next round. But there is a slight penalty for that, a trade-off for that advantage. And that is at the bottom of your grid, you have a row of basically minus points for your round. And any tiles that you place that you're unable to place on your grid during the round that you're forced to pick up have to go down there. Yeah, it's and, kind of like an overflow spot yes, where they just an over, anything that can't fit will go there, and for each one there, you, you lose take penalties, and that right. that first player chip is included in that. Yeah, and yeah. it's kind of escalating penalties. So I mean, that's that's basically the teach for this game. It is yeah. really simple. Again, it is below a two out of five. Oh yeah, complexity rating on um, BGG, and I mean, we were just discussing whether we agree with that or not. I agree. You were saying that you thought like it could be a little bit above a two. What what made you think that it has yeah. a little bit more um, complexity to it than it may appear to be? I guess we can get into that a little bit when we talk about strategy, th- strategy and tips for first time players. Because I mean, the headline here for what I meant by that is just that learning mechanically how to play the game definitely in the one range, but understanding the intricacies of how scoring works and like how to set yourself up to do well and score well in later rounds, I think that maybe gets into two range in terms of how much planning ahead you have to do. Okay. Yeah, I mean, well, we don't really have anything to say about expansions for this. I mean, right. as as I mentioned before, there are a lot of spin-off games, but they're all standalone. So I don't know, maybe... At some point in the future, we'll take a deep dive down Azul Lane, right, and tile up the whole wall with every single <laughs> variant of Azul. Yeah, but those will be separate discussions. I haven't played any of them. Um, I feel like none of them seem particularly appealing to me more than the base game does. Yeah, but they all seem to be pretty well regarded, um, in terms of how well they sell and how much people like them. Um, the base game overall still seems to be the favorite. I don't know if that's for nostalgia reasons or it's just the most straightforward and some of them maybe 
get a little bit gimmicky. I can't speak to that, but I, I'm down to try them because yeah. I do enjoy this game and I could see um, the appeal of maybe if you just played a ton of Azul yeah. and you wanted to freshen it up. You know, they're not particularly expensive. They're not complex to learn. You could just kind of get a cool little uh, collection of Azul going. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all, sure. they're all like keeping with that portugal theme like royal palaces and stuff so again like you have stained glass windows as opposed to tiles you have the queen's garden where you have like mixes of plants so you're kind of like designing a royal garden right um summer pavilion well do you have any anything to say about strategies for this game or any tips you'd give to first-time players yeah i think one thing i would say in terms of strategy is that Remember that your decision space gets more constricted the more the game goes along. Right. Just because, you know, we could have mentioned this up front in the rules, but, you know, fine to mention it now, too. And that is just once you fill a certain color in a certain row, you can't put that color in that row anymore. It makes sense. It's, yeah, it's filled. Yeah, it's blocked. Yeah. So, like... Like Sudoku, you can't have two numbers in the same row, like two identical numbers in the same row. You can't, you know, fill a row with the same color again after you fill. Yeah, I think the Sudoku um, comparison is a pretty useful way to think about it. Yeah. Um, I think this, yeah, it's kind of like Sudoku if you like colors and patterns. Yeah. Um, which I think is a good time. Yeah. I like I like a easy to medium sudoku every now and then which (laughs) is exactly what this is yeah yeah um i i don't really have much to say about strategies i think again going back to the slight debate we were having about complexity ratings part of what i wish this game had a little bit more of and maybe some of the variants do is i wish it had a little bit more strategy because we just as we said we just played two games back to back I won one and you won one and I really didn't feel like I did anything differently or that I was like frustrated or felt locked out of everything. I just kind of felt like I was going through the motions and my score and my like individual score ended up basically the same, but it was just one game. You were a little bit behind. You were a little bit ahead in the next one. That was it. Yeah. Um, And I really wasn't paying much attention to what you were doing. Yeah, do you want to talk through like what your thought process was taking turns? I mean, you said that you didn't feel like it was a big strategic lift, but like what was going through your mind as you were selecting tiles? I I was just trying to fill rows completely and not have unfinished rows, rows. or columns. Rows in the in the kind of pyramid-shaped um holding area oh yeah the tiles that you pick up before you score them at the end of the round right i wanted to try and fill rows completely with tiles so that as few tiles as possible would carry over into subsequent rounds because if you're dealing with the row of five and you only fill up three of the spots in it and they're all blue you don't get to score that row that round and it'll carry over into next time yeah but you can only put more blues in it Right. So again, like it's another way that you're limiting your options. So I just tried to keep my holding area, my loading dock, um, like open and ready so that I could be flexible in subsequent rounds. But yeah, you know, like you can only really do so much because you're kind of at the whims of what 
um, is available at the time between what yes. comes out of the bag, which is randomized, and what other players take and leave you with. So yeah. I just kind of did the best I could without really overthinking it. Yeah, that's true. I think I will say I think there is the possibility of you can have this just be a fun, low-key family game. Right. Like, it's quite easy to learn. But well, that's then, what it's for. And, and right. it, you know, it has a recommended ages 8 and up, yeah. which is nice. But I guess what I am saying is that I think, you know, if you... I don't think this is necessarily the most fun way to play it. But, like, if you did want to be hard, hardcore about it, you could, like, you know, count tiles, keep track of which ones have come up to try to, like determine which what's likely what's likely and which colors you're more likely to be able to fill in your bigger four to five tile rows and i think but i think the other thing you said i mean you know limiting your unfilled rows from round to round like yes gives you more flexibility but there it also reduces your opportunity costs because like you want to fill as many of these tiles as you can, and every round you leave a row unfilled, you're basically giving up a tile that you're moving across onto your 5x5 five five grid Yeah, for scoring. If you're looking for a deep strategy game, even like a complex puzzle game, this this isn't it. This is Yeah, there are other quick. ones out there. Yeah, you right. want to play this quickly in 30 minutes, probably play multiple games in a session or like yeah. have it as a appetizer or dessert <laughs> in your gaming um, night or day. Yeah. So with that, I mean, that moves us straight into what is the best thing and worst thing about this game? The best thing about this game to me is just I love the... I really like the vibrant colors of the tiles and I like yeah. the just the tactile experience of pl- placing them is really fun. Like maybe part of that is also from just you know a few years ago having gone to Portugal and seeing some of these azulejos in person I think has adds a slight nostalgia factor to that it does feel like a cultural love letter to a specific yes um design style yeah it's very specific to the region where it's from yeah so i think just the the tactile and visual experience of it is really great the other thing i really like about this game is how easy it is to teach so you own this game i don't i had played it once before and it had been a while ago so when we played earlier today i kind of needed a refresher but within like a minute of seeing it, it just completely came back to me and yeah. I had no problems at all. Yeah. Um, Tiling. It's like riding a bike. <laughs> yeah. So my favorite thing, I'm going to agree with you, it is uh, the look and feel of this game. Um, and I guess just also the the accessibility. Yeah. I think that part of why this game is so successful is just the simplicity and the fun of it and just that fun feeling of pulling chips out of a bag. I mean, we talked about this with our Quacks of Quedlinburg review the other day, and I think that it's just a huge credit to this game that, you know, part of what I criticized um, Quacks for was it felt like the components weren't as good quality and the artwork wasn't as nice, which kind of affected the experience. But in this game, even though it's, uh, I think, a year or two older than Quacks, it just it looks really nice and it's fun and just yeah the theme is nice it's simple um 
but just it makes such a big difference to just be pulling these chunky tiles out of the bag and seeing the intricate designs and how it looks on your grid. I really enjoyed that. Yes. Yeah, agreed. Is there anything that you, uh, anything you would change or anything that you were like, oh man, I wish this game had done X? Yeah, I mean, not really, honestly. I think part of the appeal, again, of this game is how simple it is. Um, And again, I wonder if the criticism that I will have is resolved in the other games in this series. Uh But I wish there was like some kind of more variability on the grid. Yes. Just so you could change up a little bit. And there is a backside of the board where you could kind of design your own. Right. But that does feel a little bit too needlessly laborious to do. And I'm just thinking of, you know, other games do this. Like, um, Arc Nova has the varied um, zoo land maps that each player can start with. Right. Um, you know, like the modular board in Scythe, if you were to buy that. Just things like that. Like, if they just printed some that had different patterns for the tiles, it could be interesting. I don't know if it would break the game of, um, you know, messing up the having only one of each color in each grid. But I think it could be a fun variation. Um, other than that, I have no real criticisms. I'll just, yeah. like, is it my favorite game in the world? No, but I like it. It does a good job at what it is, which... That's all you can really ask for. So I don't want to knock this game needlessly just for the sake of it. Yeah. I, what about you? I agree with you on the variability of the 5x5 five five grids. One thing I do wonder about is... I wonder if maybe that's an issue that came up in playtesting. Because mm-hmm. I do wonder if you have like multiple players playing the same game, is the balance does the balance hinge on the fact that people are trying to fill the same things in the same places? Yeah. I mean, the more I think about it, the more I think it wouldn't work. Cause it, again, it's going to break that Sudoku layout of the grid. If you change it up a bit, well, but maybe, I but, don't know. I mean, you could easily do grids where it's like, you just keep the same basic pattern, but like just change which ones are in which oh, places. Yeah, 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 yeah. Even see, like something as that as simple you, as yeah. that would would work. So, like instead of, for right. example, instead of everybody's top left tile being solid blue, you could have you know a different color on each player board being their top left tile. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Just just that kind of variability would be kind of cool. Um, the other the other gameplay addition that I thought of that I'm not sure. Maybe they considered this, and I, I think there is a risk that it could break the game, but but just introducing a wild. Oh. And, like, having a wild tile. That would be fun. And then I feel like it would be too powerful. Like, you might need some kind of a penalty or like a detriment for taking one. Like maybe if you take that, you can only take one or something and you have the lost opportunity cost of not taking more or something like that. Right. Or if it even just like the way they have the one printed on that one tile, if there was just like a wild tile that just had like a minus two printed on it and you just 
when, like in the round you played it, you'd take minus two or something. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I it's mean, worth considering. You I could mean, do ultimately. something like that. <laughs> and one of the reasons I, I bring that up is because it's part of the game and like I don't want to knock the game too yeah. much for it. But one of one f- moment of frustration that you can have playing this game is say you've got two to three of a certain color in your row of five when you start around. There are some times where just luck of the draw, you don't have enough of that color come up in the next round Mm -hmm. to fill it out. Yeah. And like a wild might help ameliorate that a little bit. It might, but the more I'm I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking there must be a reason playtesting wise why it doesn't exist. Because I'm thinking of other games. I'm thinking, so I played Reef, Cascadia, Quacks of Quedlinburg. None of, None of those have games wilds. have a wild. Yeah. Um, something that could help is so like in Cascadia, there is a way that you can like get rid of the available animal tokens and kind yes. of reset it. Yeah. This game doesn't have that, but I think part of the reason for that is that the rounds don't last long, so you're not gonna be stuck with something beyond like one or two turns, and even then it's probably gonna like what's available in that middle pool is gonna change. It's gonna be like a kind of change it once available mid-round anyway and, so and it, i guess it, it, it guess it, that's kind of a solution well and it's also self-correcting a little bit round to round because if you like just probability wise like yeah. under pull a certain color one round you're probably gonna have an overrepresented right like if we got like no in, oranges this yeah. time then you could probably feel okay that next time you'll get a, a good bit yeah yeah i think that's true what is another game that you would recommend to Azul fans or vice versa? So one game that comes to mind is Sagrada. Mm, okay. I've heard of this game, but I've never actually played it. And I often, it kind of blends in my mind with Azul. I think specifically because there is the Azul. They're compared um, to each other. glass of Sintra. Yeah. Which obviously same theme. Yes. I feel like that comparison works best thematically because, you know, in that game you're filling out a pattern of a stained glass window. Does but it involve dice? It does. It's a dice placement game. And so it's, yeah, gameplay is not quite the same. The other thing I'll say is I think this one is a little bit more, there's a little bit more of an edge to the player interactions just because... You know, in Azul? In Azul. Okay. And like, it's, I don't think that's a dominant feature of Azul, probably because like, like, not for me personally. I, yeah. I basically was never looking at what you were doing. Yeah. I mean, you, there are certain times where you can like take tiles to keep people from completing rows, but I mean, if the stars don't align and it's, you're probably going to set yourself back if you do that and it doesn't end up being a, t- you don't want to go out of your way to do that if it's not going to be a tile you need. Right. Do you own Sagrada? I don't own Sagrada. I've played it with friends. Do you prefer it? Because I, I like, I've seen it many times. Yeah. Like, at our local store, Labyrinth. And I always kind of, I think, I eye it. And I'm I like, think, you look really cool, but I, I wouldn't just buy it blindly without trying it. So I'm curious. I think, I think I do prefer Sagrada. And I would like to try it. The reason for that is. The dice placement adds, like, there's more variability in the types of patterns you're trying to fill out. And just the adding the dice placement element to it just gives you... I like the element 
the added element of chance that it throws in. I just looked it up quickly on BGG and it was also published in 2017. So I guess that was just... (laughs) That was the in year the, of, in the orbit at that time. Yeah, the year of it has a one point nine two one point nine two um complexity. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that that seems like an apt comparison, and I'm definitely down to try it if we could get our hands on it. Maybe we should head over see to if, Labyrinth. If Labyrinth and play has it. an open copy, and yeah. we could try it out on one of their Thursday night game nights. As far as game comparisons, what comes to mind for you? Mm, um. I'm going to say Cascadia. Okay. I mean, I've mentioned it before. I would say I prefer Cascadia. It's a little bit more complex. Yes. Um, and you have more flexibility in kind of building out your own um, ecosystem, the shape of it and where you can put things. There's more flexibility, and I think the game just has a little bit more going on in terms of strategy and variability as well with the different animal combinations that can come up and, and balancing the, the ecosystems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at its core, it's the same, like you're pulling really nice chips out of a bag and kind of completing this abstract puzzle. Yeah. So I think it's a very apt comparison. I think right. similar level of accessibility, really high quality production, I don't know. One more can I say? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, both are really good games. And, you know, I don't think that there are going to be that many people out there who haven't heard of both of these because they're both very successful and have been awarded, as you mentioned, like similarly in their time for doing, um, filling very similar roles in the hobby. Yeah. So Sagrada and Cascadia, two recommendations if you like Azul. Um, so let's round this out with, how would you rate Azul? I think on a scale of one to ten, what do we give it? For me, Azul gets a seven and a half. Okay. And Same. I, I also I, say seven point five. I I enjoy it a lot. I think that could have been bumped up to an eight if there were a few different player boards just to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, I I agree with that. It's like, I mean, to be fair, like I have said in the past. You know, I don't knock a game for being less complex or anything like that. I'm judging it on the merits of what it's trying to do, and it does it very well. Yeah. And I don't know, though, if it's because, you know, Quacks of Quedlinburg and Cascadia came out later on, that that's why I prefer those games, and they kind of built on what Azul did. Yeah. But I respect Azul a ton for kind of laying that foundation and really... um, making a name for what a tile laying abstract puzzle game could be. Yes. And I'm curious like to eventually try some of the other Azul um standalone games and yes. see how they build upon the concept. But overall like I would I would play this with like so many people who are not into complex games or don't have the patience or you know maybe young kids or something. Oh who, yeah. Or you know my mom who it's ticket to ride or bust no doubt (laughs) like this i think this could this could win this could be a a win over for that kind of crowd so i think oh yeah yeah azul deserves still a lot of respect and i think if there's someone in your life who is into lighter games or who you want to try to get them into the hobby this could be a good um stepping stone yeah one other thought i had for i was trying to think of other ways that you could like add a little bit more 
like calculation to the gameplay without changing things too much. Mm-hmm. One thing that came to mind is what if you had a system where one certain color each round you would get bonus points for filling it like say the king really likes blue or this game the king really likes red and it suddenly throws a a little wrench into like like everyone's gonna um, want that color more like the fortune teller cards in quacks of quedlinburg where you just like draw a card beginning of each round it just kind of creates um a temporary condition Yes. For that round. And a lot of games do this. I mean, yeah. Quacks does it. Um, Everdell Spirecrest yeah. expansion does it. Circadian's First Light. You, I, they could easily well, throw that in. And you could you could do it by round, or you could do it for an entire game. I think it could yeah. go either way. Yeah, that, that would be good, too. That's a cool concept. Maybe they... Maybe, you know, you, you have a future job as a consultant lined up oh no that would be the dream huh yeah (laughs) yeah well this is this is my uh online resume right here then (laughs) all right yeah we're building it um so on that note i don't really have anything else to say about azul um no this has been fun and i'm glad we did this i mean just again you know we've we've come a long way from happening to completely unplanned stumble into each other outside the tomb of Vasco da Gama in Lisbon <laughs> yeah, at a monastery. Yeah. So this is fun. This yeah, is good. Absolutely. I'm kicking myself that we didn't play this game while we were in Portugal. I know. Missed opportunity. You know what? That actually reminds me that it's available for pre-order. I don't know when it's coming out, but they are creating a Zool like pocket edition. I love like a that. small, tiny a travel, travel size one. box version. See, that's so genius. when that comes out, yeah, anyone who's going to Portugal or anywhere else, oh yeah, uh, that could be something to look out for. And I'm, I'm sure it'll have like a pretty decent price point and probably very small tiles. But you oh, know yeah. what? Like, I I appreciate that. I think this is a perfect game to do something like that because as we were playing it, I was kind of <laughs> yeah. looking. I was like, this doesn't quite need to be in this size box. Looking at right. the Cascadia box right next to it. Um, so that could be really fun. Well, it was funny. I was playing this game with my housemates the other night. Azul? It, yes, oh. Azul. And uh, one, like again, not huge gamers, but they I was gonna say, that's really, a good sign. they really took to it. Uh, the one thing they said, though, that I thought was funny and hadn't thought of before is like, ooh, this game really makes me want Starburst. <laughs> See, I don't, there's something to be said. Someone <laughs> should look into this about games that have components that look delicious. I think it's a thing. And yeah. I think the makers of Azul know it because they <laughs> went and did the chocolate edition. Maybe one day we'll do an episode that's just like the top five games I want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> or or at least the top five games that make me hungry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Don't eat plastic, kids. Don't do it. <laughs> um, well, friends, thanks for joining us on this virtual tabletop tour of portugal's ceramic wonders hope that you enjoyed the tour it was truly wonderful and you know it it felt like riding the 28 up and down the hills of lisbon all over again it really did and And i'm just glad that this game expanded my horizons to learn that ceramic is so much more than a bathroom tile (laughs) (laughs) indeed it is or grandma's dinner plates yeah All right, everyone. And on that note, we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. (laughs) Bye.